0: Well, hey, everybody,
1: and welcome to episode 463 of the podcast. It's Carrie here. I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life in leadership. And I've got my good friend Mark Batterson back. And you know what? I mean, I have conversations with leaders all the time, and this one opens up just so realistically and authentically about just the couple of years that we have been trying to lead through. And it's been hard on everybody. We got this new variant, and it's shutting down the travel industry or at least compromising it again. But I think church leaders in particular have had a tough grind, and uh, we're we're going to just empathize in this episode, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of other things as well. But I think you'll really appreciate it. A lot of you know Mark. We'll introduce him more formally in a little bit. But this episode is brought to you by MetaShare. You know they have a ninety-eight percent customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of fifty percent or more. Find out how much you could save by going to metashare.com slash carry. And by Glue, you can sign up for your free 14-day trial of their texting app called Thrive, that's Thrive with a Y, and start connecting with your church community. You can go to thrive, T-H-R-Y-V-E I-O to learn more. So Mark and I, uh, well, we're going to talk a little bit about habit formation. He's got a brand new book out that we talk about, but it has been a couple of years. And Mark is the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. It's one church with multiple locations. It's uh, focused on reaching emerging generations and meets in theaters throughout the D.C. metro area. They also, uh, well, and we'll talk about this, are a little bit entrepreneurial. They operate Ebenezer's Coffee House, the Miracle Theater, as well as the D.C. Dream Center. It's also redeveloping a city block located at the intersection of Capitol Hill, the Navy Yard, and Riverfront neighborhoods. And it's pretty incredible. We talk about it. And I did do want to correct one thing. I said, yes, I've seen that space. I saw it. I actually thought about it afterwards. I'm like, that's not true. I saw it when it was in development. And I'm really good friends with uh, Frank Beeler, who is helping to bring that uh, to DC. So I've seen it in my mind. And I've seen it before it was redeveloped. But anyway, just wanted to put that caveat in. He's also the New York Times bestselling author of 19 books, including The Circle Maker, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, including his latest one, which is called Do It For A Day, which is all about habit formation. And we're going to talk about that. We're on the cusp of a new year, and couldn't we all use some better habits along the way? Uh, Hey, we bring you partners that we believe in, and uh, hopefully they help you. And one of them is MetaShare, And you are probably, if you haven't done it already, reviewing what your healthcare options are, for the new year. And we want two things when it comes to healthcare, trust and affordability. And those are major issues. With a 98% customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of 50% or more, MediShare can help. It's an affordable alternative. They offer access to almost a million healthcare providers. They have a proven 27-year track record. And Uh, Another thing I love about MediShare is that they offer free and unlimited professional virtual counseling sessions to their members. That's always such an issue. It's like, can't afford counseling. It's like, well, with MediShare, you can. Find out how much money you can save by going to MediShare.com slash carry. That's M-E-D-I share.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. And recently, I have been using and my team has been using an app called Thrive. That's Thrive with a Y, -Y T-H-R-Y-V-E to add texting into our efforts to connect with leaders. So some of you, we've got, I think, over a 1,000 people. uh, We just started on that list. And uh, I'm really excited to teach churches about this. I'm a firm believer in email marketing. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know how I have said over and over again, hey, guys, social is important, but don't neglect your email list. Well, text messaging is really the next frontier because open rates are dropping on emails, and uh, they're about 98% on text messages. Thrive makes it incredibly easy to send text to individuals or groups, but it's so much more than that. Thrive is made and designed to help churches send devotional series, answer common questions, get more prayer requests, send surveys, and even collect stories of life change. And because everything is managed from one shared message inbox, you and your team can access messages from your phone phone or your desktop. That means you can assign prayer requests, respond to messages, track new visitor follow-up, and more. So don't think of it as just, you know, oh, now my phone's going to blow up even more. No, way more robust than that. And if you want to check it out, (laughs) your whole team can see and respond to every action from one place. That means human-to-human service for everybody. When you use Thrive with the other tools you already use, it's even better. Integrations with leading church management software systems are already available, and more are being added all the time. That's why Thrive is the leading church texting solution. Thrive also offers an extensive library template of done-for-you text. So at the click of a button, you can turn uh, on a text series for Advent, new guest follow-up, your marriage, prayer, or, of course, you can customize, and it's completely free to get started. If you are not into text messaging yet but want to or you are and want a better solution, go to thrive.io. That's T-H-R-Y-V-E.io today, and you can sign up for a free 14-day trial so you can connect with your church community. And now, my conversation with Mark Batterson. Mark, it's so good to have you back. Welcome. Thanks, Kerry. Always good to be back. Yeah, 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 I know. That is an accomplishment at this point, right? Given the last two
0: years that we've been through. We're still standing. You know, having done all to stand, stand, is a pretty apropos. (laughs) Um, In fact, uh, have you ever heard me share the gentleman Jim Corbett story? No, it's not ringing a bell. Go ahead. So he, he uh, is the guy that knocked out um, uh, Sullivan, who was the greatest boxer of all time. This is 1892. Okay, And uh, he wins the heavyweight. Of course, I don't champ- remember that, yes. but continue. Well, yes, we aren't <laughs> that old, are we? Uh, he wins the heavyweight championship of the world. And you got to love this. Uh, he gives the prize money to his church. Can I get an amen? Uh Amen. But he had a motto, Carrie, and his motto was fight one more round. And I-, I love it. He, By the way, that bout with Sullivan went 21 rounds, but that isn't even his longest bout. Pri- Heavyweight championship bouts are <clears> now <throat> limited to 12 rounds. He once uh, had a fight that went 61 rounds and ended in a draw. And uh, this is a crazy place for us to begin an interview but that idea of fight one more round, there's probably at least 17 people that need to hear that today. You know, as leaders, we're, oh, we're yeah. It's sometimes it's hard coming out of the corner. We're, we're getting our bumps and bruises these days, but I, I think uh, you got to fight one more round. You know, even the apostle Paul said, having done all the fight, fight one more round. I guess that would be my translation. So I got to ask you then, how have you done that? Like, what have been the rhythms, the
1: disciplines, the the dark moments, and the, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm going
0: to keep going. Like, how have you gotten through this, Mark? It's been hard. Hands down, hardest leadership <laughs> season. Laura and I have had the joy of leading National Community Church for a quarter century. You know, we started really young. This is the first thing we did, um, mm. but... The the last year and a half, you know, between COVID, racial tension, political polarization, pastoring here in D.C., um, it's really really hard. You know, I, I every communicator that I talk to, when I say that no matter what you say, it's never enough and it's always too much, they they get a smile on their face because mm-hmm. we're in a cultural moment where it's really hard to know what to say, what not to say. And uh, it's been yeah. an incredibly challenging season. I I will say this. My daily Bible reading plan—it's been a lifeline. I uh, mm. I don't I don't you know I just saw that uh, our friends over at UVersion just crossed, uh, like half a billion downloads, something like half that. a billion. Isn't that crazy? Um, which, and, and it's funny because I remember having a conversation with Bobby Grunewald before it even went public. Uh, I mean, this is a long time ago. And can I, can I be honest? I was like, I wasn't really getting what he was saying. Uh, that, that like, well, what, 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 um, And, uh, think about the, the millions and millions of people that they've helped. So a little shout out to you version, but that daily Bible reading plan, that, that little habit has been a game changer for me and kind of kept me locked and loaded. Um, but it has been a hard season and, uh, you got to keep a sense of humor. Uh, I think for starters, you got to, uh, you got to stay humble. You got to stay hungry. Mm. And uh, you, you weather it. And honestly, you get to the other side. And, you know, that's that's how, as leaders, I think you grow stronger. You grow wiser. And uh, you have a few scars. You maybe walk with a limp like Jacob did after that wrestling match. Yeah. But you, you keep on keeping on.
1: Was there a low point for you if you're willing to talk about it? Like, was there a moment where you're like, Ugh. I don't know whether I can keep doing this, or was it just a general prolonged hardship, discouragement? How, what what was sort of the
0: the trough for you last week? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know I'm I'm literally writing in my journal. I'm so tired. I'm so out of energy. Like even even wondering, am I like under attack? What's happening here? Why am I so? Off kilter emotionally, um, and listen. I've read emotionally healthy spirituality. I love it. I've read everything about emotional intelligence. I believe in it. Um, I'm doing my daily Bible reading plan. I'm I'm locking back into the prayer discipline, Carrie. I've I've got a friend. Uh, Zeb Mengistu, a pastor's a church in Addis in Ethiopia. We helped plant that church about 15 years ago, and uh, we recently had him come and speak. and He he said, I used to pray and then go to the office. and He said, I've I've turned my world upside down these days. He said, prayer is my office. And I read hmm. Acts six in the way that they reorganized around prayer and the word, and it challenges me that this is a moment where we've got to dig really deep. Um, in fact, we we just, uh, you know, we're building out a city block, about 100,000 square feet. It's $50 million it's amazing. building project. It's a, an absolute miracle. By the way, is an answer to prayer it, uh one corner of that 4.7 mile prayer circle that I prayed in 1996. So when we just built out the latest phase Carrie we had to dig down 40 feet we had to put 109 micropiles into the ground and we had to reinforce all of the the columns all of the footers because the building as you know is 130 years old well mm-hmm. that to me is a picture of what needs to be happening right now We need to micropile theologically we need to micropile in terms of our own personal habits this is a moment. Where um, uh, the wind is blowing. And if we aren't leading according to conviction, uh, you're going to get blown right off course. And uh, it's not going to get you where you want to go. So uh, I think the stakes are high right now and uh, not the easiest time to lead. But I do believe Mm -hmm. this is when leaders lead. And so uh, I'm learning how to encourage myself in the Lord like David did and uh, going back to basics, going back to bedrock. And, and uh, that's kind of where things are at right now.
1: You know, it's one of those things, Mark, where there are so many factors in play. It's not just COVID, it's the racial injustice, it's uh, polarization and the views that people have, which are all over the map. It's the unprecedented criticism, I would say, that most church leaders have taken. Um, all of that. And so I'm just asking the question, which parts of that have been most challenging for you? Because I think a lot of us have this idea that, hey, you know what? Um, guys like Mark, they just don't struggle. He's sold millions of books. He's got multiple campuses. It's awesome. Uh, would you want to take us into one or two aspects that may
0: have been particularly hard to navigate for you? Sure. It's hard for me to even know yeah. where to start. Um, sure. I am a people pleaser by nature and I'm a type mm. three performer on the Enneagram and Achiever. So j- just to kind of put my cards on the table. So people sort of know where this is coming from Um yeah. I have to keep reminding myself about the uh, diffusion of innovation, this bell curve, that even if mm. your name is Moses and you come down Mount Sinai with stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God, there's still going to be 16% of people who are resistors. And you cannot take that personally. You just you can please some of the people all the time, all the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. Um You know, if you live off of compliments, you're going to die by criticism. And then I go back to this idea in first Samuel, where I think it's chapter 12, where Saul builds an altar to the Lord. It's the first altar. And the very next chapter, Samuel goes looking for Saul and Saul is now building a monument to himself. And so, mm. Carrie, it's one or the other. Either we're building altars to God or we're building monuments to ourselves. And these are gut check moments. These are moments where are you a living for the applause of nail scarred hands or are you depressed because of the metrics? <laughs> you know, we're, we're, I'm in DC. <laughs> yeah. We went a year and two weeks not able to gather um, because of uh, regulation. And even, even as we did come back, um, you know, we're, we're trying to find our way forward and it is not easy. Mm. Um, you know, I know that there are, there are places in the country where maybe COVID had less of an effect and places where it had more of an effect. And I'm realizing how different, different corners of this country are. But in DC, it has taken a toll. There are quite a few churches that are just starting to gather again right now. And I, I wish I could tell you that the numbers are, are great in terms of Sunday morning attendance. Um, they, they aren't. Um, but, yeah. but, you know, the other part of me, Carrie flips the coin and says, well, you know, one, one of our big challenges is spiritual codependency anyways. People go to church on Sunday, check a box, check out Monday to Friday and think they're good to go because they listen to their pastor preach. No, no, no. That's that's not gonna, that does not work. Um, it's all about daily spiritual disciplines. You know, the only ceiling on our intimacy with God, impact on the world, is daily spiritual disciplines. That's what we need to be practicing. I will say this though, my appreciation for the gathering, where we come and there's this mm. supernatural synergy as we worship, as we seek the Lord, as we study His Word together. There is something that. I have a renewed appreciation for it, and uh, mm. I, I think it's you know I, I try to be a both and thinker. Job eleven six, true wisdom has two sides; that truth is found in the tension of opposites. So I'm I'm trying to we're trying to reinvigorate you know this corporate gathering, and and continue to do some of the things that we innovated during COVID, uh, which include NCC daily which includes something that we call the Upper Zoom, uh, which is a prayer <laughs> gathering uh, that happens digitally. And we have people from all kinds of time zones that check in. So I, I'm just, uh, that, that's that's a lot of ramblings. I I have so little figured out right now, Kerry. I'm, I'm telling other leaders, I feel like I've never known less and I've never felt more past my pay grade But I've also learned that those are the moments that keep you on your knees. And usually when you get on your knees, that often is where the best stuff happens. So uh, maybe, just maybe God has us where he wants us.
1: You're an optimist. I know you well enough to know that about you. You're also an encourager. How have you maintained or have you maintained your optimism in the midst of this? Because you know, in many ways, your story is improbable. You started in a very hard hard to reach city. In, I was thinking, as you said, you know, attendance is not where I want it to be. Here's the challenge. You had a double challenge. You had COVID and a administration change. So everybody on the red side of the aisle is gone and the blue side, you know, took the presidency. And what that means for you, regardless of partisanship, is a certain percentage of your church just ships out because, they lost their job. And then a whole bunch of new people come in and that happens every two to four years right at your church. So, I mean, it's been hit after hit after hit. What's happening to your optimism?
0: Mm. That's such a good question. Um, yes, I, I am an optimist. I, I also buy into the Stockdale Paradox This idea Mm. that, you know, it's the Jim Collins idea that you confront the brutal facts with unwavering faith. And so I'm trying to really grapple, like, I'll give you an example. I I think one of the languages that I've learned in the last couple of years is the language of lament, which Mm. is unique because repentance is sort of confessing your own sin and grieving your own sin and making sure that you get right with God. Lament is grieving with others and learning to mourn their loss and feel their pain. And so even though I'm an optimist and positivity is kind of my my native tongue, I'm trying to expand a little bit of my emotional repertoire. Now, I won't back off of positivity because the the last time I checked, it was 10 negative people that kept an entire nation, an entire generation out of the promised land. So don't tell me this isn't a big Mm -hmm. deal. Like 10, 10 negative people can cost you 40 years. And so, as a as a leader, you've got to court, sort of set the tone and, and set the pace. Um, the the way that we say it at NCC is we want to stand stand in the gap as peacemakers, grace givers, and tone setters. And you know, Doctor King talked about you know let's not be um, thermometers that just reflect the temperature around us. Let's be thermostats. Let's be the ones who shift the atmosphere. And so. I'm digging deep on, on things like the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you've got these six antitheses, right? That uh, that that Jesus mm-hmm. outlines. And, and by the way, you know, I think about them as counter habits. And I, I know we'll talk some about right. habit formation. And and for the record, habit formation is spiritual formation. For those who may
1: not be aware of it and didn't go to seminary, what you mean is. Uh, You've heard it
0: said, but I say to you? Yes, that's exactly it. So there, there are six instances yeah. where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said. In other words, this is your Old Testament default setting. But what, what we hmm. need to do is install, uh, uninstall some of those Old Testament mindsets, and we need to upgrade or download a little different ethic. And, and I would summarize them this way love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, oh, and give the shirt off of your back. These are not just counterintuitive and countercultural, they're counter habits. And so I, I mm. realize that we find ourselves in a place where we're, we're going to have to operate that way. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to function. I, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. You know, nuns and duns on the census are on the rise, and uh, those who you know attend church. That number is down, and so we find ourselves in in a unique place. If uh, if you study history, I mean, the the church in America has by and large held a cultural majority, um, and and we could certainly talk about the two sided coin of our history, but. You know, my, my point is this, um, we're going to have to function as a moral minority and as a creative minority. And so one of the things that I, I really sense in my spirit is God usually works through a remnant. Second um, Kings 1930 is getting in my business. Um, this idea that I will once again raise up a remnant. What, what we want is a majority, but that isn't usually how God works. And so there's a pruning process. Mm. And, I, and I think as leaders, we, we've got to be more concerned about the 120 in the upper room because that's where the outpouring is going to happen. That's where revival and reformation and renaissance, which is what we're believing for, that's where that's going to happen. And so um, I, I don't know where that puts us, Carrie, but those are some things that are certainly in my heart, in my spirit these days.
1: No, it's a good metaphor because if you think about, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, most biblical scholars would say there were between ten and 20,000 people there because that was only the men who were counted in the number. That was just the time it was written. And by the time you get to the cross, you're down to a handful. Most of them didn't make it there. And then you're in an upper room with just a few people left. And again, one of Jesus's like inner circle is gone, like sold out to the other side. And we're probably in that kind of a moment. And out of that comes the global church. It's a really comforting thought. But that doesn't mean it isn't easy. Because you're like, what happened to those 20,000 people? Like, they're all gone. They all abandoned me.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, your original question was optimism. And something you said brings me all the way back that um, I do believe that the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, Revelation eleven 15. Mm-hmm. You've got to go to the back of the book. I think as leaders, you have to remember two things. You have to remember the past, because if you don't remember the past, George Santiana, um, you're going to repeat the same mistakes. And so we have to be students of history right now, uh, I think, but we also have to remember the future. And that's what's unique about being a spiritual leader or someone who actually believes that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that we know how this ends. And I think that optimism comes from there. And and for the record, I would say that my self-confidence probably is below average, Carrie. In other words, the confidence that I have in my own ability, but my holy confidence is off the chart. Um, and, and the locus of holy confidence is in the promises of God, that God is watching over his word to perform it, Jeremiah 1, that his word doesn't return void, Isaiah 55. And so these are just, this is the moment to look in the mirror and um, really evaluate where does our identity come from? Where does our courage come from? I think it's a Hebrews 12:27 moment. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the unshakable things remain. God is shaking false securities, false identities, uh, false idols, false ideologies, uh, false narratives, false assumptions. There is a lot of shaking going on right now, but I think what could come out the other side is this remnant that I think is even more devoted to the Great Commission and uh, more in love with God. Um, but my, my hunch is we, we need a supernatural demonstration of God's love and power, and we need it um, more than ever. And so that's what I'm believing for. And that's kind of where my optimism takes me. Do you think the future will take a different kind of leadership than the
1: past took? And if so, what do you think is involved and how do you think your leadership may be different in the future than it has been in the past?
0: Mm. It's a great question. Uh, Two two thoughts. One, I wish you and I had the power to convey honorary graduate degrees because I feel like everybody has earned... A graduate degree in crisis leadership over the last year and a half. Y'all get a doctorate. I, let's just, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. I don't know what we would call it, um, but there, there you go. So I do think crisis leadership. You know, change is happening faster. Uh, information is exponentially increasing. Um, for the record, I, my concern with that is I I don't think we were designed to know everything about everything. And that is the problem with part of the problem with social media that we know almost everything about everything when it happens. And it's like eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Carrie, and we Mm. can't handle it. We can't compute it. We weren't designed to be able to process all of that. And if you aren't careful, if you don't have good boundaries in place, uh, if you haven't read at your best and learned how to manage your time and boundaries, uh, you're you're going to be in for a, a world of hurt. Um, so we've got to get we've got to get better at managing kind of the inputs that are flying at us. But I would also say that Reed. it's critical right now to to lead by context, and uh, and, and and by that. You know, I I simply mean, I think I mean the uh, almost an Issachar anointing, the the tribe of Issachar in the Old Testament. It said they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They they had this. They were able to see things as an ecosystem, and I think that's more and more important right now. That we have to be able to connect the dots. You know, it's that Richard Branson idea of leadership, A, B, C, D. Always be connecting the dots. And I think leaders, yeah. leaders right now, we've got to be cross-pollinating. You, you as a leader, need to know more about more things than you've ever known. Um be, because there's so much overlap and interplay. And and I actually like that because in my book, everyology is a branch of theology and uh, I mean, to, hmm. to this day, my favorite class of all time was a class in immunology at the university of Chicago. And, uh, I remember, I remember, oh, wow. I remember walking out, Carrie and praising God for hemoglobin. Like we, we don't do that. We don't, we don't do that. But I no, never, never happened. Not but yet. You know, no. we, I, I'm really just kind of riffing right now but you know if you don't have an appreciation for n- neurology you're not going to understand the miracle in John 9 where Jesus heals a man born blind this is not an astigmatism there were no synaptic connections between the optic nerve and visual cortex in the brain so this is synaptogenesis and and that's why they say no one's ever heard of anybody doing something like this and so I do think it's a moment as leaders, we've got to have sort of this breadth of understanding, but then we've got to be locked and loaded. And uh, the old Wesleyan quadrilateral, we've got to filter things through scripture, even before reason, tradition, or experience. But I think we need to uh, really be well-read, well-thought, because it's the world that we live in right now.
1: Yeah, I appreciate what you said about the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. I've thought about that Genesis moment a lot. And social media does give us a real window into a world that our grandparents never had. But we have some of the knowledge of God, but not the wisdom of God. Mm. And I think that is what you see in your inbox. That's what you see posted on your social feed every day. And I'm trying to figure that one out too. I want to shift gears because this is a good interview. We haven't gotten to any of the scripted questions. So <laughs> thank you for that gift, Mark. Your insights are fantastic. Uh, but I do want to talk about habit formation. You've got a brand new book on habit, which is amazing. That might be another reason you're tired. Is this three books in two years? Two books in two years?
0: <laughs> yeah, that might be. Is yeah, it? Yeah, it is.
1: Might be a little bit. Yep. Yeah. So we'll we'll get into the book. And But I want to talk about habit formation. When we were talking before we were recording, you mentioned that one of the factors that I think every leader is dealing with, this is true, business leaders, true, right? People's dining patterns have changed, exercise patterns, shopping patterns, car buying patterns have changed. Everything's changed over the last two years. But a lot of that is habit formation and people got into new habits. What did you learn in the pandemic about habit formation when it comes to church
0: involvement? Mm, great question. Well, in DC, we went a year and two weeks, not able to gather. And, and so not able, not even not willing, not able. Right. Right. Unless we were to file suit or kind of go beyond government sure. mandates. So, um, yeah. y- you know, I think what happened is, yeah, people got out of the habit or the routine of a corporate gathering of just gathering for, for fellowship. Now I want to be careful because that's certainly, you know, our, our small groups gathered because that was allowed. And we certainly gathered in the digital, uh, um, sphere and, and, you know, I, I have no doubt and have learned so much from so many guests that you've had on the podcast as it relates to our hybrid future um, but when you get people out of a routine, it's hard to get back into a routine. What, what's interesting is that in our experience, and, and we're a data point of one, carry, so this is more descriptive than prescriptive, but our kids' numbers at our Capitol Hill campus, for example, are now on par with uh, pre-COVID numbers. Now, that may be that we just oh, wow. built out a uh, an amazing kids' ministry and as you, kids space. I mean,'ve I've seen I that. mean, it's it's uh, for an urban context to have an indoor playground and and uh, pretty tripped out um, kids space. Uh, that that may be a factor. Um, and, and by the way, partnering with our mutual friend Frank Beeler and Faye's family. and so it's a child development center Monday to Friday, and then we use it for uh, NCC kids on the weekend. I just find it interesting that for us, it's primarily been uh, parents with kids. And I wonder if it's almost because they see the importance of their kids having that input, of having that rhythm or routine, and maybe a, a few less of our singles have come back. Um, and mm-hmm. and sometimes, you know, habit formation does, uh, one factor is, you know, who else is involved in that? Um, you know, it's a lot easier to go work out if you've got an appointment with a trainer, uh, than if you're just, uh, yeah. working out on your own. And so we're trying to figure out who's coming back, why they're coming back. But, um, you know, my, my hunch, just a sixth sense is probably people who were coming three times a month are coming twice and probably people who were coming twice a month are coming once. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, uh, I stand to be corrected there there's uh no sense that i'm i'm my my last name's not Barna, and so i don't uh I don't <laughs> pretend to have all the answers there but that's that's at least what we're seeing on our front so let's let's
1: uh play a bit of speculation here.
0: There are some churches I've talked to that have
1: been open for a year or two, depending on not two but a year and a bit or a year. And a few of them, not a lot of them, but a few of them are starting to approach pre-COVID attendance numbers. I'm pretty sure you're going to get their Mark. You wave a magic wand, you're there tomorrow. Is that enough? Or has our understanding of what the church needs to do to equip people spiritually changed in some
0: measurable form? Oh, I, I think it's changed. Um, I, I think it's... Okay. Yeah, I, I the way I keep... You know, talking to our team as well as our congregation, we're not trying to get back to normal. We're trying to get back to the supernatural. Mm. Like, we, we, <laughs> we, I'm believing for the next move of God. Um, I, I want to see revival in my generation, and that does not happen on our timeline or on our terms. And by that, I know that comes with baggage. People hear that and they think about, you know, probably a 19th century revival in a tent. Um, I'm talking about seeing God's kingdom uh, coming with signs and wonders, and with fruit, and really a, a a core focus on the gospel, and seeing how that literally transforms people's lives and so I, I think you know we've we've probably de-emphasized certain things and re-emphasized other things and you know it still to me seems like a moment where we do not want to get into a rut into a rhythm you know it's this it's this idea the Duke University study that forty five percent of behavior is. Um, habitual. And that's, that's not bad Mm. if they're, if they aren't bad habits, you know, uh, but when something becomes second nature, we don't give it a second thought. And the danger there is then you're going through the motions. In fact, a study that, that really impacted me spiritually, Carrie, was when I heard, and this was years and years ago that the, um, once you hear a song 30 times, you no longer think about the lyrics. Oh, interesting. Think about the implications or ramifications of that, that if you aren't careful, you'll start singing the words, but you aren't even thinking about it. You're you're giving God lip service. Mm. You're kind of going through the motions. And that's why eight ta- times the psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song. So I think this is a moment for a new thing, new wine, new wine skin, new song, um, you, you name it. Uh, I, I love uh, I love the way R.T. Kendall uh, says this. Sometimes the greatest opposition to what God wants to do next comes from those who are on the cutting edge of what God did last. That is a mm. sobering thought. And so, you know, it takes me right back to one of our core values. If you stay humble and stay hungry, there's nothing that God cannot do in you or through you.
1: Can you repeat the Kendall quote?
0: Yeah. I think it's worth yeah, repeating. Sometimes the greatest opposition to what God wants to do next comes from those who are on the cutting edge of what God did last. And uh, I I cannot, this is more of a paraphrase, but man, Peter Drucker said, uh, something to the effect that that during times of turbulence the greatest danger is not turbulence it's operating with yesterday's logic and i would add to that yesterday's anointing which is by, by the way that's the rt candle book the anointing that uh, that quote comes from and and for what it's worth every leader ought to have four, five, six quotes that you quote all the time. You, you need to have those in your back pocket so that that Kendall quotes one of them. Uh, I love Oswald Chambers, let God be as original with others as he was with you. Uh, I love the mm. Einstein, never lose a holy curiosity. I love the Tozer that a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils, a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. So I think as leaders, we want to have some of those quotes, just like we would have some verses that are kind of, you know, they're, they're in our back pocket and, you know, help us as we navigate the leadership landscape.
1: Well, I don't know that it's a prediction as much as a hope, but I think 2022 will be a lot of experimentation and innovation. And on that note, with the Kendall quote, I think we will end up criticizing a lot of people who are innovating. And the people we criticize today will be the people who coach us tomorrow because those are the people
0: (laughs) that are
1: going to find the breakthrough, right? It's going to be, that's insane. Why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. And then we'll all get the aha moment a year or two, five years down the road. And then we'll say, hey, can you come in and like, Coach us on that. Mm. Anyway, I, I hope it's a year of innovation. Carrie, have
0: you said that before? You you know, I, I listen and love the podcast. We're friends. And so we talk a lot. Have oh, yeah. Have you ever yeah. said that? Like, that's the people we criticize I think today. I wrote that in either a talk I did. Okay. I've given a bunch of
1: virtual talks. Yeah. And it might be in a blog post somewhere, yep. but it's not. Man. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the way it works, yep. right? The people... Yep that we criticize today will be the people who coach
0: us yep. tomorrow and may it be so. Mm, that's so good. You know, th- this is um, almost a, a side note, but next year, uh, one of our big initiatives is, is to launch a network. And we're, we're, not, oh, wow. we're not presumptuous, like we have all the answers or come, it's not that at all. Um, we just feel like it's, uh, God's called us to be a teaching church. Uh, there are hospitals and teaching hospitals, so uh, uh, both of them care for people who are sick, but teaching hospitals train doctors, train that next generation of doctors. And so you know, we're excited. we We want to do more things that we get less control, less credit, doesn't have to have our name on it. You know, it's not about the name over the church door. It's about the name above all names, hashtag, same team. But where I'm going with <laughs> this is I'm convinced we're going to be the primary beneficiary it's it yeah some people may come and learn from how we've done multi-site or even how we built an urban campus or you know whatever else you know what I, I am leaning into church planters I'm leaning into younger leaders and I, I think we've got to be careful um that, that we really we want to empower that next generation and and not be so so fixed in our ways, or or fi- feel like we have it all figured out. No, no, no. God is raising up another generation that we we need to learn a thing or two from. Now, I would also flip that, Carrie, and 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 say, you know, I I you need to understand the millennials that you lead. You need to understand Gen Z. Like you need to, we need to have an understanding. But that doesn't always mean that you pander to what you understand. Sometimes you confront it. So it's not, I I think there's, we need more of an intergenerational appreciation as a church. And part of that is just, I have a spiritual father, Dick Foth, who uh, 80 trips around the sun and I would not be who I am or where I am without his influence in my life. And I'm so grateful for it. And we just need to make sure that uh, we're around some people who have been there and done that. And that we're also around some people that have dreams that are a lot bigger than their resume and uh, be challenged and encouraged Mm -hmm. by them as well.
1: Is there a place, is that uh, a new idea or is it developed enough that people can go to a website or uh, send you an email or stay
0: tuned? Yeah, you know what? It's a it's a stay tuned. Um, we okay. we will in January. It'll mark uh, twenty six years for Laura and I, and so we'll kind of go public in right. January, and that's a moment where we'll we'll put some information out there, and uh, we're not looking for something big. We're just looking for a, a tribe of people that we can rally around and and invest in and love on and uh, together see if we can advance the kingdom. I will say this, what, what will be unique is that we're not just trying to plant churches. We want to start businesses. And, and part of that comes from the fact that you know that you know, we're, we just did a $50 million building project and we're debt-free. And part of the reason yeah. why we're debt free is because of a 14 million dollar gift from someone that has a mind for business but a heart for the kingdom. And so I just feel like for every church we plant, we probably ought to start a kingdom-minded uh, business and, and together kind of advance the kingdom on all fronts and 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 this gets into, you know, Mars Hill and the Areopagus that, need to write better books, produce better films, draft better legislation, start better businesses. How? With the help of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not just about the church. I think it's about the kingdom at large. Well, I'm going to
1: be uh, tuned into that, as I'm sure a lot of young leaders would. And I love the posture of humility, too, because I think there was a day where when leaders who started networks, it's like, oh, come to me. I'm the fount of all knowledge. But that posture as a learning organization, I think is... Another key to the future. So a year ago, you released Win the Day, and then now you've released Do It for a Day. Which, is it a
0: follow-up to Win the Day? or Because it's all about habit formation. It is. And uh, so it's a 30-day habit challenge. And it, it mm-hmm. was just uh, to put this out there. You, you'll chuckle because we both write books, and sometimes those books become... Um, beasts that we try to uh, tame, if you will. So it was yes, supposed to be, it was supposed to be like half a book, like maybe 30, 35,000 words and ended up being 65,000 words. Cause I couldn't stop. I just, I fell in love with this idea of habit formation and, and I love the psychology of it. I love the neurology of it, but I think what's unique, cause there are so many great Books on Mm. habits, and you've interviewed, you know, some of those folks on your podcast. You know, I think about the power of habits um, or even atomic habits. Those are amazing books. Um, What I try to do is also introduce some theology into the mix. And maybe that's part of what Mm. makes it unique um, that I really see spiritual formation as habit formation. And uh, it takes the help of the Holy Spirit. That makes a huge difference. Um, So, yeah, do it for a day, 30 day habit challenge. It kind of builds off of win the day.
1: So, you talk about making or breaking habits. You can go both ways bad habits, start some good ones. Uh, There are three key ingredients needed in the process.
0: Can you walk us through that? Yep. Uh, 3M, uh, measurable, meaningful, maintainable. And, Here's how I would explain it. Um, you know some of my personal story that uh, July 2nd, 2016, I pray a bold prayer. I had severe asthma for 40 years. God heals my lungs. I am now five plus years inhaler free. And, and Carrie, there weren't 40 days and 40 years that I didn't take my inhaler uh, growing up. Mm. And so to celebrate that miracle, I thought I'm going to do something that I could not have done. I'm going to run a marathon. and uh, But you can't just go out and run 26.2 miles uh, or you're going to pull <laughs> well, a Well, people hamster. have tried. It, it doesn't go it, very it, well, Mark. It does <laughs> not go very well. You do not make it very far. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I knew I had to make it measurable. So I downloaded a training plan and uh, 72 training runs, 475 miles over six months. I made it measurable. Uh, the meaningful piece is that it was a miracle. I was doing it just to celebrate what God had done in my life. I will say this, part of what makes habit formation meaningful is when you do it for someone else. My dad quit smoking before I was born. Why? Well, it wasn't just for him. It was for me. He felt like it could negatively yeah. affect my health. And, and so some of us need to make or break habits for a spouse, for a child, for the team that we lead, um, so don't don't think of habit formation as just about me, myself, and I. It really is a team sport, and then finally, you have to make it maintainable. Um, so you know you got to map miles, count calories, budget dollars, and uh, and it really happens one day at a time. Um, you uh, you're a biker. You, you uh, oh yeah. Yep. And uh, what's the what's the longest ride you've done? You know, I don't ride long, probably
1: 75, 80K. Although Tony and I signed up for a Medio Fondo on the East Coast of Canada. And I think that will take us about a hundred miles. So we'll do a century ride next year. Okay.
0: And I'm guessing you'll probably reverse engineer day. that in a day, yep. And you'll probably reverse engineer yeah, basically that. basically dread, and- deny... Um, ignore. No. Uh,
1: Yeah, I'll start my training in the spring. Actually, I got a trainer for the winter. Yeah. So when we get back home, I'll start training this winter for it, which shouldn't be that bad. But yeah, you can't just get on a bike and do a 153 kilometer ride and think you'll be okay. I remember doing a 10K ride when I first started and I'm like, Someone give me a medal! Like this is crazy. <laughs> Flop on the couch, I was dead. But you build up, yeah. So yeah, and, yeah. and uh, I think eighty is the top
0: I've done. Okay. Yep. Well, you know, I think, um, you know, habit formation experts, the the there's a range from twenty one days to two hundred and fifty four days to make or break okay. a habit, which is hilarious because that's like the biggest. Margin in the world. But, but honestly, Carrie, it depends on the person and it depends on the habit. Right. My feeling is that 30 days, if you do something 30 days in a row, um, I have a good shot at helping you uh, do that for, you know, it can become a, a habit. You keep a gratitude journal for 30 days, it will mm. sanctify that reticular activating system at the base of your brainstem stem that determines what you notice. Um, you know, if 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 I can get you to do your aging push-ups for thirty days, well, by by the time we get to day thirty, you you might actually feel better and feel stronger. And so, oh, yeah. you know, I I think it's this idea that the, the way I would describe it is, you know, years ago I wrote a book, uh, the Circle Maker, and and then I came out with a forty-day prayer challenge called Draw the Circle. So, in a sense, do it for a day is to, uh, win the day. What draw the circle is to the circle maker. It's about, okay, let's put it into practice. Let's start pick a habit, any habit. Now let's do it for a day. And you do it 30 days in a row. And I kind of walk people through that process and, and maybe function a little bit like a life coach or at least a cheerleader. (laughs) Well, and good timing,
1: too, heading into a brand new year and arguably a brand new era. Can you talk about uh, prompt, pattern, and prize, Mark?
0: Yeah, and and this takes us all the way back to B.F. Skinner, right? The uh, stimulus Mm. uh, response reward. Oh, not the the, Simpsons character. uh, Okay, that's (laughs) fine. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I love it. Principal Skinner? Yes, yes. Um, So... You know, it's it's this idea that uh, you've got to identify the prompt, and and that takes us right back to the the Sermon on the Mount, because so much of what Jesus is doing is reconditioning reflexes. Because when someone slaps you on the cheek, the natural reaction is to slap back, but but because that's the prompt, the the uh, the pattern would be slapping back. But if you can interrupt the pattern and turn the other cheek, now. You have a very different kind of habit, habit pattern evolving. Well, why would you do that? Well, then it gets to the reward. You've got to keep your eye on the prize. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing and kind of keep yourself motivated with the end game? And so a lot of the book follows that pattern. Let's get really good at identifying the prompt. And, and you know, you could even apply this to uh, temptation. Uh, that that old acronym Halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Well, those four <laughs> those four things, those four prompts. Well, you the, you better be careful. You've got to make sure that you're on your guard when you find yourself uh, in one of those situations. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, <sighs> Carrie. It's crazy how much of habit formation just really is. A higher level of self-awareness. Like, do, do you, yeah. do you have any apps where like, I used to occasionally um, count calories and I would, for a season there, I would track what I was eating and how many calories, or I've done that with, you know, map my, map my miles. Do, do you do any apps like that where you, you kind of track certain things? Yeah, I do Strava. I have an okay. oro
1: ring, which measures a lot of biometrics. And uh, particularly sleep for that. You got an aura <laughs> I ring do too? too? Nice. Um, what do you use it for mainly? Well, I, I, you know. Other than that, it's cool. People ask me that. I'm like, I don't know. It's cool.
0: No, listen, sleep is a stewardship issue. I mean, we're, we're talking about when, when the day, do it for a day. In the Jewish way of life, the day begins at sundown. So, mm-hmm. you know, not when it's the true. sun comes up the next day. And so the the number one thing that prepares you for the day ahead is the night sleep. So I'm always looking at my sleep score, at my readiness score, mm-hmm. and and it's a great example. It creates this awareness. Wait, I didn't get enough sleep last night. Well, I, I better make sure that you know I get the kind of rest I need tonight. And so you know, part of it, half the battle is just that that awareness. Um, and and measuring things um and and that can yeah. really go a long ways Wh- whatever you don't measure y- y- you're going to have a really hard time and in fact i would say that's why the the daily bible reading plan is so it's it's a simple genius that every day i do it that is. reading and i check it off and and if i get behind well i know i might need an hour on my day off to catch up and cuz i got behind or maybe i'll get ahead um, but it's it's that idea of Bobby just Bobby those
1: check marks are addictive. They just are. So you know.
0: <laughs> is it, and, and that says something about human nature. Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, commitment device.
1: That is a problem because here we are on the cusp of a new year. I don't know when this will air. It might air in January. You know, people are, are making all these bold declarations, most of which will be in flames by February. And I'm just saying that I've been there as well.
0: What is a commitment device? Yep. Um, it, it, lots of examples of this in scripture, by the way, uh, if you were taking okay. a Nazarite vow, uh, you would shave your head, uh, or maybe it's not shave your head. I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> I think you have the long hair then. Yes. Yeah. You, you do become a musician. You, you yeah. forego the barber right. shop, uh, for a season. So it, it's, it's about, it's about, um, it's about Starting the clock or beginning to pursue the goal, um, you know, I share a story in, in the book about uh, the Hunchback of, of Notre Dame, um, uh, Victor Hugo, and he he was late in delivering that manuscript, Carrie. And you've probably had that feeling, like you know, you you procrastinate. Well, he, here's what he did. He uh, he asked uh, one of his uh, Maybe his secretary, whoever it was that was working with him to put all of his clothes, save like a bathrobe kind of garment, put all of them, lock them away uh, so that he wouldn't be (laughs) tempted to go outside uh, or go to town or go to a party. He he basically needed something that would force him. Well, um, uh, uh, Harry Potter, Rowling. Yeah, yeah. J.K. Rowling. Yeah, she, she was having a hard time with, uh, I think it was the Deathly Hollows, And she she checked into a four-star, five-star hotel and said, I'm not going to check out until I have a book to show for it. Um, which uh, mm. m- must be nice to be able to check into that five-star hotel. I was going to say, that I gets expensive, say, yeah, but that's not that, her biggest challenge no, right no, now. No, no, I don't think so. So um, I leveraged my 35th birthday as a deadline to write my first book. So, it's, it's finding ways to kind of force yourself that I, I'm not going to give myself any loopholes. Um, it's holding your feet to the fire. And uh, in a sense, it's Elisha burning the plowing equipment <laughs> to follow Elisha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Burn the ships. Yeah, right? burn the like, ships, burn the bridge, no turning back. And, uh, you know, there are little mechanisms, be it habit stacking, habit switching, things that can kind of help us. Um, reinforce some of the habits that we're trying to cultivate. That's uh, so helpful.
1: I always love your love of history, and you tell stories of Ben Franklin, and who was it? it was Beethoven. Yeah. Um, do you want to share a little bit of what you learned about habits from those two luminous figures?
0: Well, I think B- Benjamin Franklin is the quintessential kind of left-brain approach to habit formation, 13 Virtues keep a journal, check mark system, and uh, continue to cultivate those virtues over a lifetime. And uh, um, And then he also formed the, I think it was called the leather apron club and this idea that, that it's also a team sport. And so Fra- Franklin is, you know, was was genius on that front. Beethoven would be more of the right brain. Uh, kind of creative approach to habit formation, and th- this I find fascinating. Kerry, um, you know, most people know that he lost his hearing, and um, li- literally was deaf. What a lot of people don't know is that he produced some of his best music after he went deaf. I think it's the the British Medical Journal that did a, a study, and before he lost his hearing, uh, only twenty percent of his notes were low notes. 80% were high notes. And after he lost his hearing, uh, his songs were 80% low notes. And, and I bet I bet those who are listening can hear it in their head. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it's that, that kind of deep bellowing kind of sound. And, and the argument amongst biographers is when he went deaf, he stopped being influenced by the music of the day. And he started listening to his oh. internal voice. And his musical instincts, and started writing music that was more in tune. Like you got to tune out those outside voices. It's really a it's really a powerful metaphor uh, for self leadership, and um, and then he had to uh, like he put a pencil in his mouth so that he could feel kind of the timber of the notes and feel the vibration. And so, you know, okay. Yeah. I have this like way, this is why I love conversations with you. I have this
1: thing from way back, maybe in college, where I remember reading about that. And I was thinking that what he, the way he accessed music was through the ver- reverberations. And that makes sense because the lower the note, the greater the vibration. Yeah. But I could be wrong. About no, that. I think you're Somebody right. Somebody can Google me.
0: <laughs> instantly,
1: but uh, yeah, it's funny. You know, it's the same thing with Monet. I was explaining this. I read this Journal of American Medicine article, and you know, he gets more and more abstract. He's sort of one of the the leaders in the Impressionist movement. And there's an argument among medical historians that perhaps he had some optical condition that actually made his vision more blurry and more quote psychedelic mm. or whatever. And so, when you look at his 1870 paintings, they're very realistic. And by the time you get to the mid-1920s, they're almost abstract. And they think it follows the degradation of his vision. Mm. I don't it, know. You know, Stuff like that is fascinating, it, isn't it? It
0: is. And, they, I mean, it would almost be a sin of omission not to go there. You know, Alfred Adler, 20th century, uh, posits the theory of compensation that what we perceive as disadvantage is often uh, an advantage because it forces us to cultivate certain skills or abilities that we wouldn't need otherwise. And he actually points to artists with optical anomalies and conductors or musicians with uh, degenerative conditions in their ears. So the the Beethoven's, the Monet's, They, they, uh, but, but then here's what's really interesting, Carrie 35% of entrepreneurs, according to one study, uh, are self described as dyslexic, which is, oh, wow, which just well, Richard Branson, who you mentioned, would be chief among them. And, and so the theory is it put them at an academic disadvantage. They had to work harder to learn how to read. And so, one, they probably had to cultivate a higher work ethic, which would then pay dividends in terms of starting a business, and or they had to cultivate other skills. So verbal skills or people skills or emotional intelligence. And, and so I find it fascinating that uh, I, I guess the, the way I would say it, and I actually I do write about this a little bit in the book, that you know, you, your strong hand represents the the gifts and abilities that God's given to you. The weak hand represents those things that don't come naturally. Um, and mm. we tend to kind of play to our strong hand and there's nothing wrong with that. But the last time I checked, God's power is made perfect in weakness. So be careful that you don't dismiss. In fact, you know, I'm 22 years old. I feel called to write, but I take a, a aptitude assessment that shows a low aptitude for writing. In other words, whatever you do, don't write books. Well, I read 3,000 books before I wrote one. And and I used to complain, and you'll appreciate this, Carrie, because you're a, a communicator. I used to be so frustrated that I had to manuscript every message that I spoke because I just wasn't good enough to get up and wing it. I, I couldn't speak extemporaneously. Well, what I didn't realize for about 10, 12, 13 years I think God was cultivating a writing skill because I had to write everything out. And so I didn't even know it. But for 13 years, what was perceived as a weakness on my part actually would become the thing that, you know, over time would become the the strength and probably the thing that, you know, that would have the most influence. And, and that is books I've written. But it's it's certainly not a strong hand. It's not a natural gifting. It's just something that um, I perceived as a disadvantage that became uh, an advantage. And so I think as leaders, part of that is just having the awareness of how we're wired. And and then, of course, leadership always goes back to self-leadership and self-leadership usually starts with those habits.
1: Well, that's kind of a full circle, isn't it? An inclusio, to use the literary term, because we started by talking about how hard this season was. And as you're describing the different challenges that Beethoven or others would have encountered, you know, one of the defining moments of my life was the hardest. It was my burnout. And if you had talked to me 15 years ago, I would have said, nah, it's over. God could never use this. I'm not even sure he's in it. And now I would say, perhaps he architected it. Mm and I'm not making claims about COVID or anything like that, but I'm just saying if you're at the bottom, hang on. It's not an unredemptive moment. Mm. And there may be something that's being formed in you right now as a leader that not today, not tomorrow, but five years from now, 15 years from now, 13 years from now, you'll look back and go, oh, and that was the beginning of X, which defined the strength of your leadership in the
0: future. Mm. That's so a hopeful way to end, isn't it? It's so encouraging, and we were so privileged to host you at National Community Church. I think the year was 2015, 15, 2016, maybe, yep. and uh, you gave a talk that that basically uh, equates to At Your Best, and I remember coming up to you after that talk, and, and you shared about some of the burnout, and it—, and it help me navigate some of the challenges that I've faced. And I remember saying to you, Carrie, that is a book. And I have to tell you, when, when I got that book in my hands and then pretty fun, recently I was in Times Square and I, I sent you a picture and I was in the the Marriott Marquis in the, in the uh, coffee shop and there is your book sitting on the book stand and i in just in times square in, in new york times city square, and i'm thinking of myself Unreal. you know god is good he has plans and purposes that are in in his heart a man plans his course but god orders our footsteps and so you know i i just i've taken more deep breaths in the last year than probably all the other years combined but you know as leaders mm. take a deep breath god's got this god's got you and uh he can even use some of those tough times to uh to help you be at your best, pun intended.
1: Well, and you know this, but that was such a pivotal moment for me because a couple of things, and this is a a, a case study in constraints. So I had just been through a new public speaking course that North Point hosted for those of us who are involved at North Point. And I had a whole new approach to communication I hadn't tried before. You had invited me to speak to your team. I was honored, and I thought, I want to knock it out of the park. So I'm going to try a new style and new ideas that I hadn't shared before. But the number one question by that point was, how do you get everything done? I'm like, well, I'm going to try to extract some principles. And I didn't know how it would go. And you were sitting in the front row. I remember coming down after finishing the talk. You stopped me, and you said, that's some of the best stuff on time management I've ever heard in my life. That needs to be a book. I take that really seriously when my friend Mark, also New York Times, best-selling author tells me to write a book. And I went home, and as I thought about it, I thought, gosh, it's a really busy season. I was still, you know, working very actively at the church. The company was growing, and I thought, I don't know whether I have the bandwidth for a book. Let me try to put it into a course. So that course became the High Impact Leader. Mm. Became the most successful course I've ever done to date, which then gave me the chance to test this with thousands of leaders before I put it in book form and now it's out, sitting in Times Square, New York, which is pretty
0: cool. That is pretty and cool. And you
1: get full credit in the book, by the way. I tell that story, I think, in the acknowledgments. You, you do. Uh, I think I, you, you, you read that and you shot me a note. And like, hey, thanks for remembering, including me. That's I, great. I, and for that I,
0: picture as well, Mark. Yeah. I don't always read the acknowledgments, but it's so funny. I, I finished your book and I, I thought I'm going to keep flipping through and that's what jogged my memory back to that moment cuz it had been mm-hmm. a few years and oh, uh, I'll never forget yeah, it yeah so
1: but you know it's funny because people see oh yeah a book in new, in times square new york city that's easy to do or that's so rare it'll never happen but there's almost always a really circuitous backstory yes. to that so i'm glad i'm glad we could talk about that so so fun your book win the day do it for a day they are available everywhere that books are available. Any place in particular you want to send people or a final thought from you today, Mark?
0: If people want to pop over to markbatterson.com, I've got mm. seven habits uh, or seven steps to setting life goals. And, um, awesome. you know, that's kind of one of those little freebies as well as a few downloads. In fact, if people want to do uh, the, the book with their team or with their organization, we've got you know, lots of graphics and trailers and all of those good things. So, And all of that, of course, is free. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So that's at markbatterson.com. Yep.
1: Mark, you're a gift to me and to millions of other leaders around the world. Thanks for being so transparent today. And just thanks for being such an encourager. Every time I spend time with you like this or in person or over dinner
0: or at your church, it's just, so inspiring. Mm. So thank you. Hey, Carrie. thank you. I told you this before we even got on the air that uh, you sit in the back seat of our car all the time. And uh, as Laura and I drive here, there, and everywhere, often you are uh, with us in the form of the podcast. And I'm just so grateful for your voice, for your friendship. So uh, keep on keeping on. Oh, Mark, thanks so much for your transparency and for
1: all the help along the way as well. If you want more, you can go to the show notes. You can find everything at com slash episode 463. That includes transcripts if you really want to drill down on something. And of course, we have links to everything we described about. I've really been getting into the show notes of some of the other podcasts I listened to. And if you're one of those people who, like me, never went to show notes for the shows you listen to for a long time, you may want to check it out. There's a lot of gold there. Plus, we recap some insights. Super excited about the next episode. We're going to take a really fun direction, and I'm going to interview a couple of people I've gotten to know over the last year in my community, Simon McCrae and Darcy McDonnell. And uh, it's been a brutal two years. They actually opened up two restaurants in the middle of lockdown and succeeded, and I wanted to figure out, how they did it. Here's an excerpt. But it was it was something that I, I just thought this this is better. I, we can do a better restaurant than this. We can uh, we can have a better idea. We can execute it better. We can uh, uh, have a better group of people. Um, uh, it, it was the idea that there was there was the potential there to do something um, that was more unique and uh, and a way of doing a better restaurant often I find that the best lessons come from what I call cross-disciplinary learning. And you're like, well, I'm not in the restaurant business. What can I learn? But that's often where breakthroughs happen. And so we talk about, well, all kinds of things. Anyway, tune in next time for that. Also coming up, we've got Nikki Gumbel, Rick Warren, Mark Sayers. I've got a whole future series. And uh, we got some really great guests on what's coming up next on the internet, hybrid church, uh, metatrends that we should be watching and a whole lot more. And uh, well, stay tuned because we're going to have a really fun time. If you haven't subscribed yet, we'd love for you to do that. Thank you to our partners for this episode. Metashare would love to help you save money and uh, also, well, 50% or more and enjoy their 98% customer satisfaction rating. You could save by going to metasharecom slash carry. That's M-E-D-I share.com slash carry. And Thrive can help you really start texting and connecting with your people directly. You can sign up for your free 14-day trial of their texting app, Thrive, and start connecting with your church. So go to Thrive, that's T-H-R-Y-V-E dot I-O, Thrive dot I-O. Thanks to our partners for that. And uh, I want to thank all of you who are leaving ratings and reviews for At Your Best, my new book. I'll tell you, it's pretty humbling, pretty exciting to see what you're doing. I'm going to share some of those with you next time on the show. In the meantime, thank you so much for all of your kindness, for everything that you do. We're in your corner. I'm very pumped for 2022 on this podcast. And uh, yeah, I can't believe it. That's right around the corner. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership.